Anybody tell you that I miss practice? I made my mistakes. If, 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 if a coach say I miss practice, whatever it is, it's not right on the teleprompter. And y'all hear it, then that's that. Don't you feel like that creates uh, tension between East and West? Yeah, I can't read it. There's no, there's no words on it. People have got to know whether or not their president's a crook. There's no words there. Well, I'm not a crook. What does that mean, to play us out? I mean, I might have missed one practice this year. What is... I don't know what that means, to play us out. What does that mean? Not a game, not a game, not a game. We talking about practice. Hey, everyone. It's another episode of Same Old Clippers, uh, again, uh, with Lewis Keene, as always. Uh, this one will be another double episode, because uh, since the last time we potted, uh, the Clippers have lost twice, uh, with a, a pretty bad loss to the Spurs, who are not super good this year, and a... Uh, a pretty bad put down at the hands of the Milwaukee Bucks, which neither of us actually saw. So how are you doing today? I'm doing good. And I saw some, I saw okay. some, and I've now, I've now watched the 10 minute recap. I'll watch the rest of the game later. If I can, if I, depending on how I'm feeling, I suppose, uh, you know, any uplifting footage. Did you at least see the dunk? Which, which got dunk? Probably not. Oh, okay. So um, the Clippers, who are already shorthanded, uh, are now down Ivica Zubats probably forever after Giannis dunked him into the grave on a play <laughs> that looked a lot like a Blake Griffin, J.J. Redick, like pick and roll that just turns into a disaster with a late rotating big man. I feel mm-hmm. like it was always Reddick who was the passer on those. Yeah, it did always feel like that. Where, like Reddick goes like the pocket pass and then Kendrick Perkins comes over or Mozgov comes over or who else did he get? The uh, first couple of years it was Randy Foy. Actually. The first couple of years it was Randy Foy notoriously. Had oh yeah, set. Randy Foy, right. Yeah, it, always, had... it would never be Chris Paul. Yeah, never. Chris Paul had no good alley-oops <laughs> or dunks to Blake. It was like, it was Randy Foy, Mo Williams, and Jamal Crawford, and J.J. Redick. It was never right. Chris Paul. <laughs> right. uh, it was, DeAndre had a good, yeah. good alley-oop chemistry, but that never really translated into any other kind of chemistry, which was maybe the downfall of the team. Uh, there's still, I think there's honestly still stuff to unpack about Lob City, um, but... Yeah, I mean, the Clippers uh, have been a, a little rocky, I guess, lately. Um, certainly, I don't think they're, they're quite as, as good as the Bucks, who have won, I think, 14 games in a row now. Overall, uh, or playing as well? I mean, they're definitely not playing as well. I mean, I mean, I think we've discussed this before. Giannis is so good that even if the rest of the Bucks, you know, they don't have, like, a second traditional star, like, I, I don't know, they're, they're super good. Um, and I think the Clippers, the Bucks ups- lover over here. I think the Clippers' upside is higher, but I mean they're also down three pretty key rotation players right now. Um, and who? Who's the Shamit, Shamit, Green, and Harp- and uh, Magruder? Come on, dude. <laughs> I mean, those guys are all good. And if, if Magruder is a significant rotation player for the Clippers. Then the Bucks are better than them. I mean, I think the Bucks might be better. Well, okay, but I'm making a point. Uh, uh, yeah, I think 
Magruder is like necessitated by some of these other guys being hurt, but yeah, that's if fair. Magruder's playing like 17 minutes a game in the playoffs, like that's not going to be a good sign. Unless that's they're blowing fair. everyone out. That's fair. I mean, I think we also haven't, I don't think Magruder and Shamit overlapped at all. I think if Shamit is healthy, Magruder probably doesn't play in the rotation outside of spot minutes. Um, but yeah, I mean, with both of them out, you get Jerome Robinson minutes, which was, uh, I didn't, again, didn't watch the game, but uh, three for 12 from the field yesterday. I don't think he had a three. Uh, that's, that's real rough. Um, he, so. Jerome needs some hot sauce in his ass pretty much. I mean, like, he's, there's no way that he's not a better shooter than this, but mm-hmm. he's just so low on confidence right now. Like, I, I sometimes, like, find myself wishing he would just, like, pull up in transition and just try to, like, act like he's the best player on the team. Um, yeah, I mean, he's not even setting his feet. Like, I, you know, I feel like the coaching for him is Doc Rivers just telling him to shoot the ball literally every time and then let him work out his problems that way. Like, as long as they're playing him major minutes, they need to, like, get him functional. Yeah, I mean, I think the idea right now is just that they want to mitigate any damage more than try to accentuate his strength. So he's not really shooting. He's just giving the ball to Lou and then standing in a corner um, and focusing on like defense. Uh, but that's really not how he's ever going to become a good NBA player. I mean, his entire NBA school set revolves around shooting and scoring. So even though the defense and like ball handling is better this year, ultimately that doesn't matter that much. Like if he can't shoot, um, then he's not going to really have an NBA career. So yeah, he's not um, yeah I mean, so yeah, and I'd like to like they. I'd just like to see him inserted into the Shamit playbook and just see what happens. I mean, like even if you're not optimistic that it works, you at least get to find out. And like they don't run, you know, floppy action for Jerome Robinson ever. And like maybe him, you know, just running a little bit more before he gets the ball has mm-hmm. him thinking less and just playing more of instinct. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I agree. Like, I don't know why. I mean, the Clippers sometimes make these bold decisions with how they develop players, which sometimes works out. Like, I think um, the Terrence Mann at point guard, again, hasn't really received a lot of NBA minutes. I think that could be a good idea. Um, yeah. This weird thing of, like, Jerome as a combo guard a la Lou Williams is really weird when, like, in college, basically, his best attribute was his outside shot. And it wasn't like he was really taking these pull-ups or creating for, you know, off the dribble. It was, I mean, he did some of that because, I mean, it was a, a bad college division. But, like, it was a lot of just shooting. And I feel like, yeah, just put him in the Shamit spot. It's not really his top strength, but it's something he needs to develop. And, like, yeah, I mean, you need to get his shot back. So, anyway, you know, Shamit and, and Magruder being out has led to more Jerome Robinson, which is a pretty big downgrade uh, compared to both those guys. Um, which and is part of it. One more thing about this is I'm actually like, if there's one thing that I think gets underused in the NBA is I just, for Robinson, I think just having him catching the ball while on the move just would open a lot more things for mm-hmm. him than just giving him the ball in the standstill because he was scoring the ball really well in college. And obviously a lot of that doesn't translate, but it translated way better with him catching the ball going at someone than catching the ball 
in the corner or on the wing at standstill and being expected to attack from there because he's not that fast. Mm-hmm. You know, he doesn't have a quick first step necessarily, but he knows how to put the ball in the basket. He scored 20-plus points per game. Yeah. Oh, like, he's capable, I think, and it would – you would like to see that muscle exercise a little bit as long as he's being out there. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think they're misusing him a little. It's, it's also a confidence issue, but yeah, I mean, really the sooner Shamit comes back, the better they really, they need his shooting um, pretty badly, I think, because that's one of the things that's been inconsistent. And one of the main culprits with that has been uh, kind of surprisingly Kawhi Leonard. He was having his worst efficient shooting performance of his career um now i mean obviously comparing that to early in his career when he was a very limited usage guy is is very different uh but he's shooting 43.6 percent from the field uh which is about 30 points below um his next closest and that was when he had a nine game season uh two years ago just 32 percent from three um free throw rate is down what do you think of Kawhi? i mean is it just a shooting slump um does he look right to you what are just general Kawhi thoughts I never really think that his jump shot has looked particularly good coming out of his hand. And I I see this, I see him shoot around sometimes like after practice and occasionally it'll be like, Oh yeah, that one kind of looked like what I think a jump shot would look like, but he's always had kind of a very wrist, uh, wrist oriented shot as opposed to like, you know, legs, arms, it's very much just hands straight up and kind of pushing the ball with his hands, but he's been a good shooter. And so it's hard for me to say, Oh, now he's not, or now he hasn't always been a shooter, but he's in recent years become a very good shooter um, and reliable one. So it's hard for me to say, Oh, now his shot looks bad. Cause it's never to me looked that good, even when it's been, been going in. Yeah. The shot is the same. I think it's not yeah. like his shot form looks off. It looks the same. It's just not going in. Yeah, um, so it's hard for me to get too concerned about it. Yeah, I just I, – I, I think most Clipper fans understand that the Kawhi that they're getting this part of the year is not the one that they're getting 30 or 50 or however many games from now. And yeah. The playoffs, he just turns into a different player. And I feel like – he's earned the benefit of the doubt there. And like in, in these games, he's not even, he's not guarding the other team's best player. And I don't know how long that'll, I don't know if maybe that'll continue in the playoffs. I mean, is Doc Rivers going to say now, you know, saving him for offense is less important. We need him to just like shut down Kawhi and we're going to put him on Kawhi. It's like, that's, that's the thing I'm more curious about than like whether his shot is going to start falling is like whether he's actually going to be assigned to defend the other team's best player uh, versus like Mo Harkless to like save energy or something like that. Like, yeah, I, I mean, you guys go at each other. So I think that's interesting. I mean, I think there have been times when he's been switched on to top players this year and has done really well. I mean, I think on the whole, his defense in the regular season has actually been better this year than last year. I think he coasted a fair amount last year on defense in Toronto. And I think his defense has been, you know, pretty good. It hasn't been where it was like four or five years ago, but it's been pretty good. Um, and yeah, I'm not really worried about the shot. I mean, he has like a five-year track record now of being 
a good three-point shooter. And even in his early years in the NBA, his percentages were good. He just didn't take a lot of threes. But he's been pretty consistently like a 37% three-point shooter or better for his career. For his career, he's 38%. Like he's not going to keep shooting this badly forever. Um, I will say he does look a little slow to me just getting by people. Like the free throw rate, like I mentioned, is a little down. It seems like he has some trouble beating people off the dribble sometimes. But, I mean, that's never really been his game either. He's much more of just bullying people with strength or just shooting over the top of them, again, due to his size and his ability to just use his wrist and therefore pull the ball, like, way over his head. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I'm not too worried. I mean, I'm slightly worried, uh, not really about the shot, more about, like, the quickness and um, ability to create offense super consistently. Uh, But, I mean, on the whole, I mean, I think he's still been good, even with the bad efficiency, like, when he decides to get a bucket, he's usually able to get a pretty good shot. Um, the defense has been good. Uh, the passing has, you know, cooled off a little bit of late, I think, but has still been, you know, way improved compared to early in his career. So, yeah, I mean, I'm not particularly worried. Um, but I do think, you know, again, not having seen um, the game against the Bucks, but just I don't think he's the best player in the NBA. I do think Giannis is the best player. Um, and I think their team's better, or maybe not better than the Clippers, but playing better than the Clippers right now, um, including the Lakers and the Bucks. And just, it's very early in the season. I mean, as we mentioned, the Clippers have had some injury issues. Um, you know, they've had, they haven't had a lot of time to practice. But what do you think about the Clippers just in relation to like, other top teams? Well, I think it's, I was thinking about this earlier today. The Lakers seem like they're really gunning for the first seed. And yeah, one thing that seems like it's emerging after the first few weeks of, of the season is that the Lakers and the Clippers are destined to meet in the playoffs. And it's like kind of hard to see it working out any other way. Mm-hmm. And the Lakers getting a game seven in that series, I think would make a pretty big difference. Um, and maybe the Clippers are just forfeiting that and saying, well, you know, we're going to win the series either way. And, you know, one game difference in, in home court doesn't make such a, a big difference. But, yeah, the the Lakers are playing really well. I do think that some of that is because Avery Bradley's been hurt. Um, <laughs> and it's hard for me to respect them overall. But uh, what concerns me more about the Lakers is that they seem like they're having a lot of fun. And I agree really completely. That. You know, they're dancing yeah. on the Utah Jazz. That really should be us. You know, that should be the Clippers doing that. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, they've, they've definitely been better than pretty much anyone expected. I think some people looked at them as, including me, looked at them as maybe they'll flame out, you know, especially after the Clippers killed them in the first game. Um, but they've gotten, you know, Caruso's giving them good minutes. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of him. He's one of the... He's pretty much all NBA at this point in the NBA media. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, Alex Russo is everywhere. It's, it's unavoidable. Once you realize that the Bleacher Report social media account is run by several Laker fans, it, it just... Rye Cole, know. the infamous Rye Cole, is literally one of the lead social media people at Bleacher Report, and he's one of the most ridiculous Laker stands on Twitter. Like, yeah, and this Grant is Gober, not a surprise. Grant Goldberg's my homie, but he also makes content for that. He makes some of the, he does the yeah 
he does content for them too. So it's, you know, it's, it is what it is. And, uh, you know, Caruso's, uh, I think he's fun to watch, honestly. So it doesn't he's, really bother He's me. good. Like, <laughs> um, he's not amazing. He was my 15th round pick in, in fantasy this year. So <laughs> kind of immediately, obviously, but, uh, I believed. And, uh, I don't know. Does it trouble you? Or does, are you, how do you think these two teams match up right now? I mean, I agree with you that the Lakers' attitude and the vibe is almost more worrying than their record. Um, <laughs> because, like, I think one of the things that could have happened this year is, like, you know, they have Dwight, who has been really good for them. You know, they have Rondo, who's, you know, by a lot of accounts been a good teammate, but also, like, is not very good. Until this year, he started hitting threes. I mean, he's blocking younger players. Like, that could have been a cause for friction. Um, like, there are all these potential sources there. Like, you know, does LeBron really want to cede the reins to Anthony Davis? Um, all these other – and it just hasn't mattered. Like, they look like the chemistry is great. Uh, they're having a ton of fun. Um, and I do think that's, like, legitimate. Like, I don't – I hate to go, like, all Bill Simmons chemistry stuff. But, like, you know, chemistry has been proven to matter. Like, the Celtics hated each other last year. And, like, that's why even though they had a lot of talent, they weren't – as good as this, you know, the sound wasn't as good as the parts individually. Um, and the Lakers this year look like the opposite. Like, when you just look at their roster, the roster's not that great. Right. LeBron and AD are obviously, you know, top 10, you know, probably still top five players, both of them, I'd say, um, so far this year. AD in particular, I think, has been, like, super good. Um, but, like, the, like, Kyle Kuzma is just not that good. Like, he's really not. He's, you know, a decent He's like a fifth starter, maybe like a good. He's not even. He's not playing well. Yeah, he's no. He's not even playing well. And like, and even in past years, like, he's he was a good pick for them for where they got him. But it's not like he's some third star. Like he's a he's a good scorer who can't do like that much else. Um, and like the rest of their team, like I mean, Caruso is a nice rotation guard. Um, Dwight has been a fun story this year, but you're not giving him like thirty something minutes. Um, you know, KCP for all the shit he gets is like a solid rotation wing player, but like their roster is not that good. It's just AD and LeBron and chemistry. It's not um, that good. But one thing that they have that the Clippers don't have right now is the pecking order is determined. And mm-hmm. I think one underrated thing about the AD acquisition is he came in, I think, knowing that it wasn't his team, that he yeah. was just going to be getting easy looks because of LeBron. And he would get lots of the celebrity because he's on the Lakers and he's Anthony Davis, but that the responsibility and like the burden of like wins and losses wasn't going to fall on him. And that team has the pecking order really clearly defined. And like all the things that you just mentioned, the potential sources of friction are all of them being like guys believing that they deserve more than they are getting. And white Rondo, uh, even Caruso, you know, all these guys are are being very uh, – they're fitting into the hierarchy really well. And the Clippers, uh, you know, I, I think their loss against the Spurs was a great example of that not being worked out yet because, man, the first quarter against the Spurs, everything – the Clippers were firing on all cylinders – Mm-hmm. Some of their shots weren't going in, and they didn't open up like a very big lead. I think they were up just a couple points. Yeah, but they were moving the ball well. The Spurs were defending really well, but the Clippers were 
they looked like they were having, you know, they were really playing well. But then the Spurs just continued to play well and put the Clippers in a corner. And instead of Paul George then stepping up and just saying, all right, I'm going to go get 10 points now to get us back in the game, he just completely checked out. And I think uh, – and then when they brought in the bench, instead of Lou Williams and Montrez just picking up where everyone uh, had you know, sort of left them with the bag, instead of the, the bench coming in doing that, DeJounte Murray comes in off the bench to pick up Lou Williams and completely shuts him down. Yep. And the Spurs lead got even bigger. And between the Spurs and the Bucks, the one the one uh, one common thread was that guys came in off the bench and just they beat our bench too. And like Yeah, I mean I think the the stat from the Bucks was like they were plus 24 in non-Giannis minutes, which yeah. just never happened against the Bucks. Like, they have a good bench. Like, they actually have a, a really deep team. Like, they don't have a – they don't – I don't – I wouldn't say they have another star on their team, but, I mean, they have a really good surrounding cast. But, I mean, the Clippers should have, if not the edge, at least be able to battle them evenly, but they weren't able to. Um, yeah. And, yeah, and I mean, like, I think Ursan, – Ursan came in and just, like, drilled a three, like, coming on a – Coming around a polar bear uh, screen. Uh, we'll get to that. Um, the DiVincenzo, um, uh, the non oh Pat Pat Conton. Um, I think it was the non ginger <laughs> DiVincenzo. Those guys are like the same guy to me. Um, They're pretty uh, similar, honestly. Even like Bledsoe was hitting threes in the fourth. Yeah, they, they just came in and just shellacked the Clippers from behind the arc and the Clippers like don't have that like oh we are just gonna like come back and hit you with threes back um but I mean I think with their I very think, good bench doesn't do that very well yeah I mean I think the firepower issue again like you know you don't want to be relying too heavily on like Landry Shamit and Jamichael Green when you have Kawhi, PG, Lou, Trez. But and those guys are two of the better three-point shooters on the team. I mean, Shamit is the second best behind George. Jamichael Green, very good three-point shooter. Like, I think the Bucks game would be a good example of a game where you played Jamichael at the five um, because Zubats wasn't doing much. Trez always struggles against Brook Lopez. Um, and, well, not always, but a lot of the time. And um, against just length in general – and you play Jamichael, you match their firepower with three-point firepower as well. You space the floor, and they can't do that right now without those guys. Um, I think that is a problem. But, yeah, I mean, I think the pecking order thing is interesting because, you know, the thing about Kawhi and PG, for as great as they are, is that, you know, as Clippers fans have already noticed, they're not super natural playmaking for others, um, and they like to do a lot of ISO, and that can be a lot of your turn, my turn kind of thing which when you have two guys as good as them, it can work a lot of the time because they're that good. But it's not necessarily the smoothest offense. It's not necessarily an offense that will look great, you know, for stretches in a row. It'll be an offense that can be very explosive. But really, I mean, I think this team will need to get better defensively. And I think the defense, you know, it's a truism, but, you know, defense leads to offense. And I think with this team, because of their lack of, you know, a true point guard, you know, quote unquote, um, you know, getting out in transition and pushing the ball and being able to take advantage of mismatches, 
that way is really important for them. And if they're not getting stops, so the Bucks are hitting all these threes, you know, their half-court offense just isn't quite there yet, As again, especially without Shamit. Um, so, yeah, I mean, again, I'm not super worried, but, like, I do think the Bucks and the Lakers are two teams that absolutely look like they could beat the Clippers in a series. I mean, they're playing better than the Clippers right now. They have matchup advantages over the Clippers. Uh, and we're a long ways away, but, um, you know, if those teams have home court and it looks like they will, that's, that could be a legitimate problem. Um, yeah. I think the matchup thing is the big takeaway because one thing that the Bucks do is they put a seven-footer out there for all 48 minutes, and they have a Lopez out there. And the Clippers, you know, fell behind early in this one. Pretty much as soon as the, the first guys came off the bench at the six-minute mark, they fell behind eight or ten points, and that was pretty much it. Um, was, like, Brooke Lopez, like, had three open threes in the first couple of minutes, and if those had gone in, it would have been over even sooner. Yeah. So they are – yeah, you wish you had one of those Lopez's. And <laughs> I think we're going to talk about this all the time because I think a lot of the Clippers' losses are going to look like this where we're um, – well, this one, these ones were more being, you know, killed from the perimeter, but their lack of a rim protector, especially against Giannis, uh, you see it. Uh, it hurts them. Like, putting Mo Harkless on him, like, he can do a reasonably good job, like, you know, complicated a little bit with length and, like, give him a, a few feet of space. But giving him a, a few feet of space, like, only helps so much when he's able to get – to within yes. six feet and then just lay it up or dunk over you. Yeah. And that's where having a verticality guy, which the Clippers just don't have, I, like, uh, is, where, is where you really feel it. Yeah, I mean, I think Zubots is good defensively, but he's not that type of player. He, he just can't get that high. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's, he's, he's smart defensively. Yeah, he's smart defensively. Like, he knows where to go. Um, he generally makes good decisions on defense, but yeah, I mean, he's not like prime Dwight Howard out there, you know. Um, he's like prime Aaron Baines, you know. <laughs> uh, this, there's there's a reason the Suns have slipped, and it's because Aaron Baines is out. Um, yep. All star Aaron Baines. Uh, but anyway. there's a reason my fantasy team has slipped is because Aaron Baines is out. Uh, yeah, it's, he's really good, but um, yeah, I mean, I think. You know, that's the main weakness the Clippers have right now. For all the talk, and even for what I just said about, like, the not having traditional point guard, their biggest weakness is at center because Zubats is not a guy who should be getting 20-plus minutes a game. And it's not really even defensively. It's also just offensively. He just doesn't add very much. Like, he's okay in the pick and roll. And, like, if you give him a ball in the post against, like, a really big mismatch, he can definitely hit, like, a hook shot. But he's not really a threat out there, and the Bucks are just ignoring him from the clips he does, that yeah, I've seen. He doesn't complicate things for anyone. Yeah, the like from the clips that I was seeing, just the Bucks are just leaving him open. Like they don't, they have the defenders who can rotate over and just swat him if they need. Like he's not somebody who can just catch the ball and just dunk in like a second or so, like Trez can, and he can't shoot, and he's not really. He's honestly an okay passer, but like the lack of other offensive skills means the passing isn't that valuable. Like, they just play off him. So, like, that's the problem with playing Zoo. And then the problem with Trez is, of course, as we said, he's just too small. Like, he's never going to be, you know, able to protect the rim like that. And he's also has trouble offensively against a lot of these guys sometimes. Like, 
if the Bucks throw Giannis on him, like he's not getting anything because he can't bully Giannis with strength. And he's like Giannis is just bigger and way longer than he is. And Lope, I'm Brooke Lopez. I think Seth Partnow had a tweet about how he should be getting defensive player of the year buzz. And like that showed in the game yesterday, like he was just smothering. Like there were again clips because I didn't see the whole thing, but like there were clips were just like the Clippers just couldn't do anything because Brooke Lopez was the biggest player on the court by like two or three inches. Um, And like, that's an issue. So again, like I think, I don't know if the Clippers make a trade. I think if they do make a trade, it will be for a big man. Um, Even if they do like zoo and love Trez, like it's just, it's a weakness and it's something that all the other top teams, the NBA, whether it's, you know, the Bucks, the Lakers with AD, the Sixers with Embiid have guys who can take advantage of the Clippers like that. And yeah, I mean, it's tough. Yeah. The other offensive component is offensive rebounding and yeah. Zubas doesn't really give you that much of that. Cause like we're about to, well, we're about to talk about the Cavaliers and like, uh, you know, Tristan Thompson's name has come up as one of those bigs that might be moving around, but also might be, extending with the Cavs and you know I look at him as like well he doesn't give you like the vertical lob option that much but he's a championship player and he can punish guys on the offensive boards and like that can be really that especially with a team as like gifted as the Clippers are offensively you know with the players that they have and their ability to isolate and get buckets having someone who can just get extend possessions and stuff like that is is killer yeah i mean Uh, tristan thompson would be huge on this clippers team um i don't know what that trade really looks like because he has a huge salary and you'd need to send matching and like i don't know who the clippers would send out exactly um their only like liquid asset so to speak well i'll say they have two harkless and zoo yeah, and then the young guys who aren't worth very much. Right. It would have to be – I would guess it would be – if they're all in on a championship, I'm guessing it would be Zoo, probably like Jerome Robinson and like a second-round pick or something. Like I don't – maybe yeah. a, a protected first – like I don't know how much they value Tristan Thompson, but like, you know, this they want to win a championship this year, and, you know, Tristan Thompson helps them do that. So anyway – um, yeah, we can talk about the Cavs. Uh. <laughs> so here's why Here's why Tristan Thompson might be on the move. I don't know if you saw this, if you read this article in The Athletic. Um, you know, I love the – I actually – I'm a big fan of The Athletic. And yeah. we uh, – ever since The Athletic got started, we've been kind of teasing The Athletic um, for taking itself too seriously and stuff like that and, um, and for their articles about why I joined and et cetera, et cetera. But I will say this. Athletic is the – and I'm not being paid to say this, and I'm not applying for a job there. Athletic is the best sports website in terms of reading experience because it just doesn't have any ads. And online reading stuff online is, like, impossible now because so much of the screen is just, like, these bright, garish, uh, you know, uh, occasionally, like, gross ads that are just, like, blinking at you um, or playing video or sound um and the athletic doesn't have that so anyway this article uh that the athletic put out um by joe varden about uh players on the Cavs being uh basically 
feeling like they're being babied by John Beeline uh, because John Beeline had a very successful uh, long career as uh, head coach of Michigan's basketball team. And this is his first year in the NBA and he's bringing a lot of his tactics and instructional material <laughs> curriculum to professional hoops. And a lot of the guys are resenting uh, being talked to like they aren't competent professionals who have been in the NBA uh, for any amount of time. They're being talked to like they're 18 year olds. And that team is young, you know, uh, Con Sexton, uh, Darius Scarland, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Um, but Jetty Osman, you know, but <laughs> look, the legend. Look, look, I'm a Jetty Osman as much as the next uh, Jetty Osman guy as much as the next guy, right? But, uh, <laughs> you know, they also have. Uh, Kevin Love and Tristan Thompson and the, the juiciest Jordan Clarkson. Yeah. You know, Jordan Clarkson hates this shit. Jordan uh, Clarkson has to be the source of like, I just read this. I, I'd seen clips of it on Twitter, uh, but I hadn't read the full thing until just now. Jordan Clarkson was responsible for probably half the quotes in there. I would guess. I don't know, dude. I think, I think Tristan Thompson and Kevin Love would not be enjoying this very much at all. That's true. But, I mean, they also have the cachet to be complaining about this, whereas Jordan Clarkson can just – I mean, he's been in the NBA for a while, so, like, he's a veteran, but, like, he hasn't won anything. Like, Love and, and Thompson are NBA championships. They were key parts of, like, four finals teams. Um, I think what you're saying is if there's any NBA veteran who needs screens to be – or curling action to be called uh, polar bears, it's, it's Jordan Clarkson. That's that quote is. <laughs> so, so wait, do you have the quote up? Uh, yeah, I can bring it up right now. Uh, let's see here. Um, oh, find it. Oh, God. Oh yeah. For instance, all of the team's screens, cuts, and pivots are named after wild animals. A curl is a polar bear in beeline system. And then the quote is, you don't go pro to do that kind of thing, one league source said. Um, and you just know that was paraphrased over, you don't go pro to do that kind of shit, you know? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Probably other swear words thrown in there either, too. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's weird because uh, for people who don't know, most people probably do know, I went to Michigan. Uh, I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm, like, a huge Michigan sports fan, but, like, I've watched a lot of their basketball games. And John Beeline is a really good coach, um, at least at the college level, in terms of X's and O's, uh, in terms of schemes. And at Michigan, at least, he was great at getting players to buy in. Now, that's one of the things that often causes college coaches to not succeed in the NBA is because the players are super different and managing them is super different. In college, coaches have all the power. Um, and the NBA, the players have all the power. Um, at the same time, like, you know, having read the article, really, again, the only two players who have any right to be complaining about this are Love and Thompson. Like, the rest of the team is young or bad. And, like, one of the quotes in it was even, like, at some point the players are to blame if you're losing by 20 and 30 points every game, which I think is true. Um, so I think a lot of it is stupid. But at the same time, like, Beeline probably does need to adjust. Um, but... Yeah, I mean, I think if they want to do a rebuild, like, those veterans are going to be out of there. Like, I'm guessing Thompson, Clarkson, um, and Love are, are guys with some trade value, at least. 
um, with Love and Thompson and due to the size of their deals, it might be tough to find partners, but like certainly really good proven NBA players. Um, some team can talk themselves into clerks and helping them off the bench or whatnot with scoring. Like, you know, it's just, it's kind of a mess though. Um, Cause they start off the year four and five and people are like, Oh, the Cavs are frisky. And now it's like the Cavs are awful. Um, which happens a lot in the NBA um, every year. But yeah, that's weird. I mean, I, I feel bad for Beeline, who's like an awesome dude and um, super nice guy, really smart coach, um, and just seems to be in like kind of a rough situation right now. But uh, some of it, at least, of his, is of his own making. So, um, well, this is one of the you know this is one of the things in NBA where it's like if a team is getting killed by thirty points every night, you know whose fault is it? And this week, I was surprised. Probably the biggest news that came out this week was David Fizdell being fired uh, by the Knicks. And uh, I've seen most people acknowledging that he was not a very good coach. And certainly over the past few weeks, people have been more and more frustrated uh, by Fizdell's like failure to adjust and disinterest in playing, you know, to seeing what he could get out of Nilakina and, um, just inconsistency on many of his strategies. Um, and then once he gets fired, everyone says, oh, well, the Knicks are a dumpster fire. Steve Kerr obviously is going to defend the coach. It's, Steve Kerr is like, that would have been me, you know, a long time ago. Uh, everyone Carlisle kinda, defended him too, yeah. Yeah, and I think when these teams are bad – Okay, another good example of this might be Sam Mitchell in uh, Minnesota. And when teams are bad uh, and they fire their coach, I think one thing I try to see is, well, what are the benefits that are going to come out of that coach's tenure after they leave? And for fit, and you never know what it is until, you know, maybe a year later. But with Fisdale, it's kind of hard to see. Yeah. Any of those young players, Kevin Knox, Nilakina, Mitchell Robinson, how any of them has kind of, you know, even Julius Randle, you know, someone they signed, uh, they paid him a lot a of big money. Deal. Yeah. And he's not been good. He's been bad. <laughs> the opposite yeah. is good. Uh, and there's, just, there's very, I, I, I don't know if I could name, you know, their defense is good. I don't, I don't think I could name any of those things coming out of this. Yeah, I mean, I think from people I know who are Knicks fans or or write about the Knicks, like, he does not seem like a good coach. He was bad with the Grizzlies, too. Like, there were things that people were complaining about with him during his tenure with the Grizzlies. I just don't necessarily think he's a good NBA head coach. Um, You know, he could be a very good assistant. He was one of Spolster's most trusted lieutenants in Miami. Um, Players, at least there, loved him. You know, Wade and LeBron have gone to bat for him multiple times. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't think he really did anything worthwhile of note in New York. Like Frank has gotten better, but a lot of that seems to be like on the national team, like he did really well. And like that kind of spurred his confidence. Um, Knox was an awful pick because he wasn't good in college. Um, and expecting him to be good in the there NBA we go. <laughs> was, uh, was not a good idea, but like he hasn't developed like at all from what I can tell. Uh, Mitchell Robinson is good, but like. I don't think has really improved very much yet. Um, still fouls like all the time, just doesn't seem to have any discipline. 
uh, you can go up and down the list. And like, yeah, I mean, has been really misutilizing Randall, who a very flawed player, but certainly is better than he's shown so far through like over a quarter of the season in New York. Um, yeah, like I just think his rotations are a mess. Like, like you said, like they have no identity on either end of the court. Like, what do they do? Like, what are they supposed to be? Uh, he just does not seem like he's a good NBA head coach. And like, you know, the Knicks are certainly an awful organization and they did not give him a very good roster to work with. Uh, but I also don't think he did anything with them. Like other coaches could have gotten more out of these players, not even in terms of wins or losses, but just like, as you mentioned, in terms of development, like what are, what is Knox aiming towards? Like who's, who are they trying to develop him into? What are they trying to develop Frankie? Like, like, I don't know. Like, I don't think anybody knows. So, I mean, honest, quite honestly, I mean, I think it was a worthy firing. Like, should the Knicks also remove, like, all of their front office people? Sure, yeah. Um, but the Fizdale thing is interesting because I think it's something that we've talked about before, not on the podcast, but just in general, which is that um, media and access journalism um, in particular covers a lot. It, like, really in very small ways um, really affects how people think about things. and like. Fisdale is great with the media. Media love David Fisdale. Yeah, is, he was anointed before he was a head coach. Yep. Uh, in like Kevin Arnovitz's like five assistants who were next in line to become head coach. And that was like when coaches were being fired all the time. So those five guys really were the next five in line. Um, and I think this will ha- – You will, I mean, this is going to happen as long as there's assistant coaches where there are assistant coaches who are perfect at that job. And then they get in the coach's seat and they aren't, they aren't up to snuff. And like, this has happened with, I remember this happened with Brian Shaw. Uh, This happens with Kurt Rambis. Uh, You know, it happened. Mike Brown. Mike Brown. Um, Yeah, sure. Uh, Where you have these guys who are very capable at that, at a specific job. And maybe the reason that they're, they're good as an assistant. I remember there's a ton of stories about Fisdale being the LeBron whisperer, you know, he was the guy yep. who would Spolstra's like, you know, take he, Spolstra's ripping into LeBron and LeBron walks out of the room and like Fizdale like puts his hand on his shoulder. And is like, you're going to, you know, you're going to man up or you're going to like walk out on coach, like in front of everyone, like what kind of man are you going to be? Or whatever? You know, like he, there are all these stories about <laughs> him being like very good with the players. Yeah. And maybe not having the same, you know, the same uh, sort of, game planning responsibility or uh or tough guy responsibility and he's not good at being able to toggle between those because the assistant coaches can play you know they can pick out spots right sam cassell uh with the clippers might be the the fun coach you know and then as soon as you give him a head coaching job uh he's not good at becoming fun and serious and going back yeah that's just you know i see sam cassell and price all the time and I, i was really worried that the Lakers were going to poach him to be their head coach. Um, and other coaches are more successful at making a jump. But Tyron Lue won an NBA championship uh, and was seen as a very good coach um, and, and was presumed to get the Laker job. And then Frank Vogel got it instead. So I think like you're, what you start out saying, like the, the media has a lot of, uh, will give a, a coach who's good with them a longer leash. I think you can look at the Clippers as an example yeah. of a coach that got a longer leash because he's good with the media. Um, 
And as a member of the media, I can say, well-deserved, because uh, coaches who speak to the press are more valuable to a fan base on a certain level than a coach who yep. is a little bit more, but is, you know, uh, isn't able to speak to what his strategy is or, you know, or is combative or uh, repetitive, you know, Jim Boylan's thing <laughs> entertaining, but at this point he's just saying spirit and, you know, yeah. belief over and over again. You could literally have just like a record player in his spot with like a head on it and it would would be the same thing. Yeah, I I mean, I think like the Doc thing is a good point because Doc is fantastic with the media Um, and like that's one of the reasons why he's so well covered Um, but he's also had the results to match. Like, you know, whether you think the big three thing in Boston, like yes, they had the most talent of anybody in the league but those were some, you know, difficult personalities to work with. And he was able to corral all of them for several years and get them to be really good. He failed at that with Lob City. Uh, but Lob City had plenty of their own issues, um, both personnel-wise and in the locker room, that, you know, might have just been beyond him. So, like, there has to be a mix. Like, you know, I think being, like you said, being favorable, like being open and being friendly – and being somebody who people can talk to is a good thing. Like, that's never a bad thing. Yeah. Um, you know, which is one of the things why, like, Tibbs, for example, in Minnesota was such a disaster, where it was, like, he was just super competitive and, like, didn't really say anything and was just ornery all the time. And, like, nobody wants to deal with a person like that. Um, right. It's like, you know, as, at some extent, like, these are all, you know, even though it's very different in terms of money and position and, and how you know, visible this is, like, a lot of it is just, like, regular coworker relations. Like, would you want to work with Tom Thibodeau? No. He seems like a really shitty coworker and boss. And at some point, like, it's just that simple. Um, you know, David Fisdale seems like he might be a good coworker. Seems like pretty fun dude. Um, seems to have, like, the back of his players. Um, you know, that kind of stuff is important. Um, but, like, at some point, you also have to be a good basketball coach. Um, the same could really be said of like Mark Jackson, for example, who had his really stupid things like posting up Clay Thompson, but was really able to get that team to buy in defensively and like did some like real things on the court, but was also yeah. just like a psychopath. a great example of someone who you could look at and say, well, he did accomplish this because Draymond Green, uh, you, you could give him a lot of credit for Draymond Green's, uh, finding a role in the NBA yeah. that had not been a role before that team's defense was inherited by Steve Kerr and as as big of a reason that they won the championship as them having two really good three point shooters. So I think, yeah, I think uh, I'm going to, I'm going to push back a little bit on what you said about the co-working relationship, because I do think the media's job is to interrogate these, these coaches and these yeah. players and get them to give tough answers and Doc, as friendly as he is, will give you very opaque, nothing burger answers with a smile and a joke, but he won't, you know, you have to work a little bit to get him to speak outside of the... Um, boilerplate. Boilerplate, yeah. And, yeah. and so this, this last week I was reporting um, on, which game was it? Uh, Portland Mm -hmm. and uh, 
before the game, they were talking about rest and health and whatever. And I asked him if he could do the Lob City years over, would he rest guys more? And he said no. Like, he basically was like, he, he basically was like, well, you know, it would have made no difference because those teams weren't good enough. And that's kind of been his line for a few years. And I just – I don't think it's true, actually. I don't but... buy it. Yeah, I just – that I think most... on a certain level that's that became true. Like, I yeah. think the Golden State teams were better than them. But teams upset other teams in the playoffs. And, like, uh, you know, I – I think the problem with the them playing Golden State on last playoffs is they weren't good enough. But the teams, the Lob City teams were good enough. Like, by the literal definition, they were good enough to contend. They were good enough to beat those teams in the regular season. I just, I don't buy that they were not good enough to beat the Rockets. By they were good enough to beat the Thunder. They were plenty good enough. And I do think that resting those guys over the season, like load managing Blake, yeah. load managing Chris Paul over the season, uh, would have made a difference. Uh, Absolutely. I don't think he. I don't think he really engaged with that answer, even though the answer that came out of his mouth was printable. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I think you know, it's it's like a you know, being like a, a journalist. I would say compared to a lot of jobs, it's you know, it's easy. <laughs> um, you know, there are lots of way harder jobs, but I mean, it is like you have to walk a fine line in terms of like, you know you do want to be able to maintain access to these people because that's your job. Like if you, you know, piss people off and they won't talk to you, then you're not providing like your main, you know, strength as a journalist. But at the same time, like if you're not asking tough questions, then what are you providing there? Um, You just hit the problem on the head because someone should be able to ask tough questions and even questions that makes a player upset without worrying about losing their access. And one thing that happened with the Clippers last season in the playoffs is some rookie reporter, clearly international, um, probably from Tencent in China, uh, asked a weird rambling question that was somewhat – oh, you know what he asked? He asked after the Clippers lost in game six, he asked how come they were good in Oracle but sucked at Staples Center. Yeah, and Pat Beverly kind of like rubbed his forehead and said, "Next question," and Lou Williams was like, "Nah, we don't do that." And he gave a very nice answer, really good answer. Like, yeah, yeah, and he was just like, "You know what? Like, that's just sometimes you you make shots, sometimes you miss, but I'm happy with the shots I took. I'll be able to live with them. Uh, they just didn't go in. I feel like I let people down. It was like a nice answer." And then Pat Beverly jumped in and defended Lou. He said he's been carrying us all year, whatever. But the NBA. Like, players don't feel like they have to answer questions they don't like. Yeah. And the, and the PR teams are either, you know, are either afraid of the players, as one uh, columnist from out of town put it to me. Uh, he said, oh, like, the, the PR teams are now just afraid of the players. So they don't actually stand up to them. When the players don't want to do something, I think it's the PR guy's idea. Is that their job is to protect these guys from yeah. saying anything uh, that's get, from from any situation that's going to make them 
not look like upstanding people who make the world better. And, <laughs> and as a journalist, my job just is not to tell that story. My job is to tell the story of the game, uh, to tell the story of the player accurately. Um, it's not to write PR material for the teams or for the NBA. And by and large, the NBA's media body uh, is mediocre because so many of, uh, in my opinion, so many of the primary outlets where people receive their NBA information, whether it's Twitter or uh, Bleacher Report or ESPN, are run by league partners. ESPN is, a, is the league's biggest partner. Uh, Turner is a close second, right? These are yep. maybe 10 cent also is, is, is up there. None of these, uh, it's, it's in the interest of none of these uh, outlets to perform uh, honest muckraking right. uh, interrogative journalism because the league We'll get mad at them, right? ESPN used to have this show called Playmakers about the NFL. It was fiction and people, and it was very edgy and it had people doing steroids. It had people doing domestic violence. And the NFL was like, take this shit off the air. What are you doing? We're not going to run our games on your network if you keep this on air. So ESPN canceled it. And like, and there's plenty of story to be told that makes players look good. There's also like, critical reporting that needs to be done have the teams in the nba lose every game so yeah and everyone goes to the locker room on tiptoes and says you know what were the positive takeaways from that or like like people are afraid to act like steph curry i remember they lost i was in the locker room after this game the, the clippers uh or the lakers were a terrible team it's beginning of the season though and they knocked off the warriors and steph curry's streak of like 180 games in a row or 200 games in a row making a three ended you like mm-hmm. shot over 11 and I, and I was like saying i'm like no one's gonna ask about this i think this is kind of a big deal it was an nba record it came came to an end you know uh no one's gonna ask him so i asked him and it was like i'm not there to ask that question but how are we not gonna ask this? someone in the scrum asked yeah. this question and and i was standing next to Roz Goldon Mude, and she and she was like she was like no one's like Clay Thompson shooting like 23% from three. No one's going to ask him about this. Like, what, like, uh, yeah, people, the NBA media. That question? And the Warriors are better than most teams about getting their guys to talk. Yeah, I mean, I think Warriors PR is good. And I think, um, yeah, everyone you know, agrees that the Warriors PR is the best, uh, in the business. Yeah, they're, they win, they win tons of awards and it's for like a good reason. Um, but yeah, like, I mean, I think that's part of the problem. And like, I tweeted something, I think it was yesterday, or it was maybe this morning, but it was like, Shams had like an, an article about Kristaps Porzingis, who for one, has not really been that great this year. And two, is like literally his third profile on guys who've done domestic violence or been accused of stuff. And it is... Porzingis? Kendrick Nunn. Oh. Yeah, and it's like, not only have You're all these not- happened... And it's like, for one, it's just like a weird trend that all three of those guys in like less, like in months span. Um, and also just like, like, I guess if you're writing about the basketball player, like you can 
you can just focus on the basketball. But as soon as you make it about like a player's like renaissance and like touches into the personal stuff, like you have to talk about the not good personal stuff too. Like if you want to try to make it into like something about like how they've grown past it or have matured or learned from it, whether you agree with that take or not, um, you know, it at least needs to be talked about and it never is ever. Dude, these guys like Shams, they are access merchants by trade. If yeah. anyone has the ability to answer, to ask those questions, it's Shams. It's these other, it's, it's Woj. And, but, you know. Never will. Once ever. you get that high, why would, once you get that high on the totem pole, why would you? you know? Yeah. And Chris, same yeah. thing with Chris Haynes. Like Chris Haynes is like best, best friends with all these guys. And we'll see. Is he going to become a guy who asks, Kawhi, after the Clippers get eliminated, why he, you know, only shot 39% in the the series. Uh, You know, we'll see. Yeah. Um, No, I always, like, I think, I think, yeah, like, asking questions and asking ones that are either soft or, like, just inane is a problem. And, like, you know, I generally don't ask a lot of questions when I go to games because I usually go just, you know, to pick up just stuff from around the arena, which I think is fine. Like, you know, unless I'm like trying to write a particular story, I don't necessarily ask questions, but like, you know, what I do, I try to make questions that like, for one, like other people might be thinking or that are unique and like that players might want to answer. Like, you know, Kevin Durant has this reputation for not being good with the media and not liking them. But, like, you know, I'm not going to defend, like, some of the stuff that he said or, or his attitude. But, like, when you hear a lot of these questions these guys are asked, like, I'd be irritated, too. Like, you know, I asked him, like, a, a fairly detailed question once, and he gave, like, a good answer. It wasn't, like, amazing. Like, it wasn't the back backbone of, like, a great story I could write. But he thought about it, and he was like, yeah. Like, and he talked about it for, you know, 40 seconds or whatever. And it was like, you know, all went well. And, like, there were a couple other questions in that particular it was in the playoffs and like he answered them fully in depth too. Cause they were just about things that actually like either matter or like important or just interesting or whatever. And it's like, anyway, it's, it's like an actual problem. Um, and, and I'm going to keep going on this because I think we're on onto something here, which is the same when players are like the media always does this, you know, where you take something and blow it out of proportion who are they talking about? They're talking about Bleacher Report and ESPN. So like these companies that are like the league partners and don't provide serious coverage, what they're left with as their juicy, interesting reporting is these small quotes yep. that they turn into these avalanches. And it's like, if, if you guys just cover the games, there's, there's really interesting things happening and and just do that. But instead it's like, it's, uh, you know, it's Zubat saying, oh, you know, I'm happy to be with the Clippers. We never had blowout wins with the Lakers. And now the Clippers take care of business. Everyone's like, oh. And Zubat is like, the media just takes things out of, out of proportion. And it's like, when, he's think, when he says the media, what he's thinking about is me, like a reporter who's new and uh you know he does that he doesn't trust but it's the institutions that he does trust that are actually the ones that are giving things legs and that's what always frustrates me is like when people are like blame the media and then they become suspicious of like journalists they don't recognize 
instead of like recognizing that it's these big institutions that have enormous microphones that are taking these things out of context and blowing them up. So the, the cure for the cure of all this to me is, is to enable these interrogative relationships to happen because the transparency and the actual fodder becomes a lot more consumable without yeah. it being like junk food. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think, you know, again, like, you know, once you get high enough on the totem pole, they, these guys lose any reason to ask anything, you know, they're, they're friends with these players. They're friends with their agents. Um, you know, they know all these people everywhere and they're not trying to make enemies. Like, you know, they're, they're trying to keep that access going because, you know, every time Woj can tweet something ahead of Shams or ahead of Chris Haynes or ahead of any of these guys, you know, it makes him and ESPN look better. Even though I know Chris Haynes is like, you know, has been working with him before or whatever. Like, you know, although I think Haynes is, isn't he with the athletic now? I can't even keep track. Um, Yahoo. It's like, you know, these, they all have like competing brands and like, you know, ESPN hired Woj, not because he's some great basketball mind, but because he has the most access of anybody in the league. And, you know, they're paying him to maintain that access. Like they're paying him a shit ton of money because he can keep bringing, you know, the news slightly ahead of everybody else. And in order to do that, you know, he needs to be able to play nice with everybody. So it's just like this really bad cycle where, um, you know, the bigger names are empowered by this and players, you know, are cool with them. So they'll keep talking to them. And, you know, it's, it's hard to become trusted with um, players, especially in bigger markets. Like I think it's smaller ones where there are a few people covering it you know, there were in like, and it's local stuff. Like I know the Clippers a couple years ago, like third times where there were only like five of us in scrums. And then it's like, you know, there are no big names there. Um, but even then, like, you're not going to get like a several minute long exclusive interview with somebody. If you're just working there with like SB nation or fan sided or whatever, like, um, so yeah, it's, it's not good. Um, and I think this ties directly into another big story right now, which is ratings. And a lot of the problem, I think, outside of just, like, their injuries to teams right now and, like, there are a lot of bad nationally televised games is that, like, coverage just isn't that great. Like, both on it's TV. We, yeah, we, like. We have the worst NBA media that we've ever had. Yeah, it's tough. Like, I mean, the, I don't think there have been that many great stories this year. TV coverage is awful. Like, it's better to just watch games on mute than actually listen to them. Um, and, yeah, it's just, it's, like, really bad. And that's part of the problem. And, like, you know, we joked about the Alex Caruso thing. And Lakers fans will get defensive, like, oh, it's a good story. But, like, there's millions of other good stories. Like, Devontae Graham, who you infamously said. Uh, yeah, would not we deleted that, right? We deleted that first. <laughs> would not keep up his face. Is having, like a fringe all-star level season, I'd say. He's never been like 18 and eight. And like, he's had games of hitting nine threes and games of hitting 10 threes. Yeah. Like a ridiculous story. And to my knowledge, there has not been like a major story on him yet. No. Or at least not one beyond. Look at the, Lee Jenkins was like the, you know, he was the profile writer par excellence. He now works for a team's PR. So like you can see, and I was at the, at the Portland game the other night and in the it was it was very 
it was like almost a, a metaphor that they, they had 20 students from USC, not 20 maybe, but 15 uh, who were studying sports PR at USC Annenberg came into the uh, press conference room and just sat there and, 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 or stood against the wall. And Doc was like talking trash about how Marquette had beat USC and one guy had 50 points. And he was like, he was bullshitting with them a little bit, you know, during on the mic, you know, we're yeah. all just kind of, you know, enjoying it, whatever. And then at, at the end, he was like, any question, any other questions? Like USC, you, you have any questions? And they all just, kind of they didn't do anything and I looked at him I was like they're just PR people and he was like oh they're PR okay never mind and then like that was the end of the press conference and it's like the the everyone who's in Annenberg who's in school communication all these con majors instead of going into like media production they're all going into PR mm-hmm. and like this 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 problem is all over society where the information that we're getting is worse and worse. And then you have people who are worse and worse informed and they come out with like less compassionate worldviews, less, they're more suspicious of each other. And it's, you know, I'm not going to say that the sports PR industrial complex is why the Hindu nationalism is on the rise in India, but the trend of PR in journalism form is bad for societies of all sizes and industries of all different kinds of importance. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's really tough. Like, and you know, I think that's the kind of thing where it's, again, it's just ironic because most people who are talking about the ratings are members of the media. Like the average fan doesn't give a shit if the NBA ratings are down. It's all, and, and it's all about the media. And like, we're doing it right now. Like we're talking about the ratings instead of talking about basketball. Like I know we're having like a, you know, a more in-depth conversation, but most of it is just like, Oh, like the ratings are down like this or this or this or this. And it's not like maybe we need to do a better job writing about the sport and like covering the sport and making the sport more interesting for people. Um, you know, I haven't written that many stories this year. I've been super busy at work. There've just been other things going on. Um, but like, usually like, you know, and I also not at Clippers games, like I don't live in, in California anymore. Like I can't provide quotes, you know, or, or get like juicy stories, but like, you know, there just aren't that many interesting stories on a daily basis. I want to read. I'm on Twitter a lot. Um, and it's not that common for me to just be like, oh, this sounds fascinating. Or like, I've never thought of this. Or like, I really want to read about this. It's mostly just like, no, oh, like, you know, this is like a good NBA writer. This is a topic that like, you know, is fine. Like, I'll probably end up reading it. But like, I just don't think coverage is really good right now. And, you know, a lot of it is because, again, tied to like PR and, and to access and stuff. And, um, you know, like, we're, we're part of the problem, not necessarily the two of us, but just, you know, media is part of the problem with the ratings. I think at least to some extent, um, it's a, there are other issues, you know, part of it. Um, like I said, like national TV games being really bad has been one of them. Um, there, there are other ones. You're seeing these huge, I mean, the, this season was supposed to be up for grabs where there's going to be any team 
could win. And it's true that there's good teams in each conference, like there always are, but uh, there's like 40-point blowouts seemingly every night. I mean, there I think there were two 30-plus point blowouts last night or tonight. Uh, the Clippers went down by 40 last night. Um, I mean, the rise of the three-pointer and, the, like, the variance that results of that definitely makes games worse. And I, I don't think that there's necessarily I, – I think you'll agree. There's no one reason why we – Oh, absolutely. There's obviously a million reasons. Some, yeah. some things that have happened in the last year have been good for ratings. We just can't see because the overall result is bad. But you look at the ratings thing, and it's like, well – this is an excuse for us to change the game in positive ways that make it more watchable. So what are those ways? And like, what, and I think there's plenty of the things that can be done uh, to the gameplay to make the games more interesting. But I'll also add that one of the things I've felt over the years about the WNBA is that they lack, they lack <laughs> the kind of critical reporting that makes enemies out of certain players and there's like the WNBA has maybe had like one villain over the years um in Brittany Griner but like by and large like all the discourse around the WNBA seems to be all these WNBA players are so good and like they're all great and they're actually very good at basketball and like look at what she can do and like there's obviously value to that like we have that around Luka Doncic and stuff like that but when it's all that, then it very quickly stops being interesting. And I think the problem with the, with the NBA today is like everyone is, oh, look how great they are. And like, look at all the good things they're doing. And not like, like Kawhi is having a bad year. Why haven't we heard about that at all? Except from like Helene Elliott asked one question about his field goal percentage. Like why this is the kind of story that would generate like lots of discussion and people saying the media freak out. Like we're, we don't even get that anymore. Yeah. And I mean, you know, a tangent to this that, you know, is another big story that's been happening is James Harden and talk about the free throws and how, you know, you know, it, it's not fun to watch. And like, you know, some of that is subjective, but like he's having one of the best scoring seasons in NBA history. And, yeah. you know, most of the discourse around him is negative. And that's one of the cases where like, yeah, you can make him out to be a villain because, you know, for whatever reason, but like the discourse around him is just bad. And like, you know, he's, I mean, I don't necessarily think watching him go to the free throw lines 20, like 20 times a game is fun. And like, he definitely gets calls that other players don't get. Like, I think that is true, but he's also like one of the best players at drawing fouls ever. And the way he's able to take, like, he said he took 23s in a game early this year, which, like, it's ridiculous to even take 23s. Like, I don't know. It's ridiculous to take 20 shots. Yeah. It's like, like, so we don't have any guys that average 20 shots. Yeah. Like, it's a lot of effort. And, like, he's able to get clean looks because of his ridiculous step back, which is insanely good. Um, And because of how dangerous he is as a driver and ability to get to the line. Like, James Harden is terrifying. Like, there's, I don't, outside of Giannis, he's the scariest player to play against the NBA right now. And there's no talk about, like, James Harden is having one of the best five-year runs in NBA history. He is. Um, He, I would say he's already, I don't give a shit about the rings. I'd say he's on path to have a better career than Kobe. Um, 
and like, or at least have be a better player. Career is a different story, but like, you know, his ability to score at that level and playmake at that level with his efficiency is bananas. Like, yeah. he's won an MVP. He's come runner up three other times. He's going to be in the top three this year, barring something crazy happening. And like, that's an insanely good run. And yet, almost the entire discourse around him is like, oh, he's not fun to watch. Like, oh, he gets these stupid foul calls. It's like, he is one of the best basketball players to ever play basketball in his absolute prime, just destroying teams. And it's all this negativity. It's, it's so irritating. And like, I hate the Rockets. <laughs> and I don't even like watching Harden that much, but still, it's like. Well, so isn't that it? I mean. But like, you either need to lean into like, he's a villain. You can't force yourself to like watching someone play. I think, like, but I think you can separate the I don't like this style of play from, like, the complaints about just him in general, where it's like people denigrate him, not necessarily the style of play. It's like Harden isn't really that good or... um you know, Harden won't work in the playoffs or this or that or the other thing. And it's not like, it's not just ever a, like more what I just said, not to say that my position is, is the right one, but it's not like, I don't like watching him play, but he's unquestionably like one of the best offensive talents the game has ever seen. I just, I rarely see that take. It's usually like, I hate watching James Harden or James Harden going to the free throw line 20 times a game is a symptom of why NBA ratings are down, which is a take I've seen before seriously over the past week or two. Like this kind of stuff is just ridiculous. Um, Like you either needed lean into it and be like, Harden is the best villain in the NBA today and build him up to be like that type of person. Yeah. Or you just, and while appreciating his greatness, you know, kind of like, you know, LeBron was on the heat in the early 2010s. Um, or, like, you try to just lean more into the appreciating side of it and instead of, like, this weird, like, whiny middle ground where it's just like, like, oh, we don't like it. Like, you know, it's not that fun. Like, you know, he gets he does this, he does that. And, like, the shitting on the, the Rockets thing because of the missed dunk and them trying to protest that, like, that was a ridiculous missed call. You know, if that had happened to fans of any other team, they'd be furious about it. Yes, I agree. And it's like... Completely. And it's like all of it is just like, yeah, let's take pot shots at the Rockets. Um, and it's just, it's stupid. The Rockets are a ridiculous and bad franchise. We don't like the Rockets. <laughs> but I agree. It's, it's, it's fine for us to choose to build this narrative around them. But I don't know. I'm played out. Let's let's call it, dude. This has been a good one. Yeah. This has been a good one. Uh, so yeah, that, that's it. <laughs> listen, to new, listen to this new Roddy Rich. If you've made it this far in the podcast, that means you've probably been enjoying it on some level. You should definitely subscribe to my newsletter, Unstatable. Follow me on Twitter at this Lewis. Yes, uh, and you can follow me at Rotomi Flom. I would also recommend the new Roddy Rich album. I was listening to it on my train ride today. Pretty good stuff. Um, but yeah, that's it uh, for this episode of Same Old Clippers. Follow us on Twitter, uh, subscribe to Lewis's newsletter, and uh, yeah, we'll, we'll catch you after the uh, next Clippers loss. <laughs> okay, bye. All right, go, go. Ten, five, four, three. That's tomorrow, and that is it. Ten, five, four, three.
franchise player, and we're in here talking about practice. I can't do it. I mean, how silly is that? We'll do it live. Practice? We'll do it live. Practice? Do it live. I can. I'll write it, and we'll do it live. Not, a, not, a, not the game that I go out there and die for and play every game like it's my last. Not the game. We're talking about practice, man. That's tomorrow, and that is it for us today. I'm Bill O'Reilly. Thanks again for watching. We'll leave you with Sting and a cut off his new album. Take it away. I mean, how silly is that?